Welcome to the Knox Podcast. With this podcast, Pastor Justin begins his Advent series entitled Christmas in the Psalms. The Old Testament is full of prophecies about the coming of Messiah, but the Psalms are especially rich in anticipation of Christ's coming. Psalm 96, written by King David for the event of the entry of the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem, also prophesies a time when God himself will visit the earth, and make specific promises on what he will do. Join Pastor Justin as he opens the meaning of this, and the true meaning of Christmas. Please have a seat and open your Bibles with me to Psalm 96. Psalm 96 today. We're putting Galatians on hold for a few weeks as we explore Christmas in the Psalms. So let's stand and let's read together Psalm 96. Hear what God has to say to you today. O sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of the salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the people. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the fields exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes, for He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in His faithfulness. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, as We look once again to your songbook, these songs of the Bible that express on behalf of the people how we feel about you, what we notice about you. Lord, may we learn and grow in you today. May we get excited about the Christmas to come, but Lord, even greater than that, may we get excited about you to come. I just pray that you take these words, make them alive in our hearts. Let the Holy Spirit resound in us the truth of your gospel. In your name, amen. Please have a seat. Twas the morning after Thanksgiving, and all through our house not a creature was stirring, except for a seven-year-old who ran downstairs as fast as he could. Dad, Dad, he said, it's Christmas. I said, what? I'm just waking up. There's, there's a little period, I I got my brain's not shifting over to what a seven-year-old says. Little kids have a weird concept of time. Sometimes they don't really understand how time flows and what lengths of days are. So for Casey, he heard that Christmas was after Thanksgiving. And so for him, it was the day after. And he came down, Dad, I'm very excited. Christmas is today. I said, son, we don't even have a tree up yet. 
it's not today. I actually had to break his heart. I said, it's 30 days from now. And he looked at me, and there's this horror washed over his face as this eternity of days. Right? 30 days for a kid is immense. And he looked at me, and he said, Dad, how about 13? He said, son, if I could bargain down time like that, it would be done. If only we could do that when we have to wait for something we really want. Because sometimes we just have to wait, and there's no reducing the time. But even though he was very crestfallen, I told Casey that morning, I said, listen, even though it's 30 days to Christmas, there are still a lot of wonderful things we can do while we wait. Waiting doesn't mean you're just sitting around twiddling your thumbs and not doing anything. You can actually do a lot of things to get ready for the great thing to come. I said, man, during this month, there's going to be parties to go to, Christmas cookies to bake, more Christmas cookies to eat, caroling, pageants, light shows, all of the trappings of Christmas. We got a lot going on. And so he took some comfort from that. He knew that the wait wouldn't be useless. For us, as we come into the Advent season, it means we need to embrace waiting. That is really what Advent means. It's a period of waiting, a period of anticipation, a preparation of what is to come. Some of us aren't great waiters. Some of us aren't very patient. And we have a hard time waiting for something we want. But God wants to let us know in Psalm 96 that this right here, this period of time leading up to Christmas Day, is an opportunity to wait with a purpose. Wait with a purpose. When God asks us to wait, whether it is for Christmas or a prayer request that we've been praying for so long and waiting on His response, or even waiting for His second coming, He says there are so much we can do during that time to honor Him and actually, in return, bless our own lives. So this Advent season, we are turning back to the Psalms to see what the songbook of God has to say about Christmas. And it has so much to say about it. Psalm 96 positively vibrates, and I hope you felt that as we read it together. It vibrates with the excitement of the Christ to come. It is so excited about the Christ coming. But it says, even in the meantime, even as you're waiting, we have some ideas for you. Some things that the people of God can use this time to wait with a purpose. And so let's look on that today. Let's find some comfort and direction from this psalm. There's something in us as people that we love to erupt in spontaneous celebration when something amazing happens. When either you get really good news about something or maybe a football team wins the Super Bowl, you'll see this every year. A team wins and what happens in their hometown? Like it's the news cover, it's like the the apocalypse happens. Everybody's out in the streets and there's celebration and noise and honkings of horns And sports channels are exclaiming this like they never saw a Super Bowl win ever before. This was the first time, right? And people are just erupting in a new song. It's a new song of celebration. Our team won. We are the victors. You weren't even on the football field. What are you talking about, we here? They're the victors. You're just riding their coattails. Nah, we're we're all part of that, right? There's a new song. And we see that in any celebration where people are just are bubbling over with joy, so much joy over something amazing that's happened that they have to sing a new song. They have to express it. They have to reach out, tell somebody, touch, grab somebody by the shoulders and tell them of this great thing that's happened. 
And so we see that in Psalm 96. This is a new song the psalmist writes. A new song of uncontainable joy. Of joy. And it makes even more sense when you find out the context for this psalm. We actually know it. Because if you turn your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 16, you find out we actually read this psalm again because it's right there. And we find out why it was written. Because at this point, the, uh, the ark had never been brought into the city of Jerusalem. And so there, the tabernacle had been reconstructed in the middle of Jerusalem. This was before the, the temple was erected. And so the ark was coming in, and as the ark was coming in, to sit among God's people in the center of their uh, central city, David and the rest of the people are just overwhelmed because God is with them. God is literally taking the throne of Jerusalem. And the king of Israel is looking up to the greater heavenly king. And he just erupts with this song. And David writes this song of praise along with a couple others. And he kind of mashes them together in 1 Chronicles 16. But he's standing. It's like he's standing as the choir director of the world. And he's waving around that little stick thing. What do we call that? The baton, right? Yeah, and as the conductor, David says, sing, not just you people, sing all the earth, all the animals, all the trees, every, the wind whistle with joy, the trees and, and the, the grass rustle with excitement, the animals hoot and holler for your king, and the people sing these words. Sing to your Lord. Sing to the Lord who has done amazing things. And what he's saying is as we wait, as we wait upon, of course at that time they had not had the Christ come yet. And so they were still waiting for the Christ to come. He says, as we wait, let's look upon His great works. And he identifies in this psalm three great works of the King to come, of Christ. And His first great work in the Bible, of course, the one we read in Genesis chapter 1, is the creation of the world. When God got up there with his own baton and Christ said words and it came to be. David looks down at this moment. He looks down on these so-called gods of other nations. And he says in verse 5, For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord, my Lord, my King, He made the heavens. He made all of this. Our King stood above the void and with a single word, he fashioned beauty and structure and order and life. He made all. He lit every star. He gave them names. He put the planets on their course. He carved out the canyons. He filled up the oceans with water. He put an incredible diversity of life all over this planet. And then for his peace de resistance, the sun created men and women in his own image. Male and female, he called them. He gave them hearts to beat for God. That was his creation. That's what our king can do. All idols can do is rust and fall over and be forgotten. That's their great claim to fame. They cannot create. They cannot inspire. They cannot generate life. But listen what the Bible says about what our king does. First John, I'm sorry, John 1 says, All things were made through Christ. And without Him, not anything was made that has been made. Colossians 1, For by Him all things were created, in heaven and earth, visible and invisible. 
whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Every Christmas, I am astounded anew that the king of all creation, the king who made all of these things, would then humble himself to come down into his creation. How surreal that must have been for Jesus every day growing up, every day in his ministry, to look around and go, I made that tree. I made that person. I made that star. To look out the moon and go, I put that on its trajectory, and I am still sustaining all of these things. But I am also in this creation as a man, as the incarnate God-man. That must have been very surreal. It's no wonder that when we look at the birth narrative in the Gospels, we don't just see people praising God in this arrival. We don't just see the invisible realm of angels of heaven praising God, but we also see nature responding. The bright star over Bethlehem pointing down at the king that was born. Well, maybe when we look out and we go, it's really cold right now, we don't really think of being out in nature a lot unless we're shoveling a lot of it off of our driveway. But we need to be thinking about God's creative works even during the Christmas season. This is something we can do during Advent, to look upon nature and go, even in Christmas, even during the winter months when it's gray and snowy and cold, God still sustains. God has a plan for all of this. He's building up the snowpack. He's going to replenish all these things so that when spring comes around, life will erupt anew. And we can just be in awe of our Creator who designed the entire world. Probably most of you don't know who James Harrison is, or if you do know, it's probably not the one I'm talking about here. Most people don't, but I think most people should. I think this is a guy who should be taught in schools because James Harrison is a modern-day hero. As far as I know, he's still alive. He's an Australian man who helped to save the lives of 2.4 million people. 2.4 million. That's because James Harrison was born with a very rare antibody in his bloodstream. And when they found that out, they realized that his blood could be used to save the lives of infants born with a particular lethal syndrome, an RH imbalance. And so over the course of his life, James Harrison gave blood almost 1,200 times. And his blood was then used to save 2.4 million infants worldwide. They called him the man with the golden arm. And you can look up his story. It's really amazing. I think it's entirely appropriate to praise the selfless acts of a man. He didn't have to give, but he knew God gave him a gift. God gave him something that could be in turn used to help others. And so he did that. So I think it's very appropriate to praise his acts and praise this man. But I think it's even more appropriate to praise the one who saved far more than 2.4 million babies. Verse 2 here in Psalm 96 entreats us to proclaim the salvation of Christ. There's a second great work that we read about in Psalm 96. And it, it do, doesn't just say praise his salvation once. It doesn't say just praise him during the Christmas month. It says proclaim his salvation day after day after day. Don't stop. As awe-inspiring the work of creation was and is, and we can still consider it, even greater than that was the work of saving that creation, of redeeming it. Jesus worked to do this by becoming incarnate, 
to live a perfect life. He obeyed His Father to die on a cross for our sins. And He was raised from the grave to overcome death and ensure resurrection for all of His beloved. Christmas Day marks the moment when Christ entered the world on a rescue mission. Not just to save millions of human lives, but to save billions, maybe trillions, of human souls forever. And we wouldn't look, think of to look at the time if we looked at a little baby in a manger and go, this babe is going to do all of that. Years later, the so-called religious people of Israel would grumble when they saw Jesus consorting and eating with so-called sinners. He said, why are you bringing your love to them? They don't deserve it. Come to us. Come to the truly righteous people. And so in Luke chapter 15, Jesus turned around and he said, well, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a parable about a shepherd. A shepherd who has a modest flock of 100 sheep, but one gets lost, one wanders off, and he still has a majority of these sheep. He could accept that loss if he was any other shepherd, but this shepherd wouldn't lay down and wouldn't just stay there with his 99. He went out and he sought that one that was lost. He hunted all over the countryside until he found it. And he put it on his shoulders and he brought it home to a celebration. And Jesus finished by saying this, I tell you, there will be no more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous that have no need of repentance. When we were studying this in our family devotions, I said, do you... Do you think in heaven, salvation watching is their national pastime? That they crowd into stadiums and they get around and there's this giant screen at the bottom and as they're all looking, they're watching as the king finds those lost sheep one by one and redeems them and calls them to him. And every time that happens, every time Christ's blood is sufficient to forgive. Every time His sacrifice on the cross can take His righteousness and put it upon this lost sheep that all of heaven stands up and cheers with one mighty voice and they're pumping their fists in the air and they're going, that's my King! Because He saved that one person. He saved that one sheep. This Advent season, we need to remember what Christ did to save. Use this time of waiting to remember His salvation and how it especially applies to you. We make it fresh in our minds. We see His humiliation. We see His love. We see His sacrifice. We see the cross. The Creator of the universe came down to find those lost sheep, to find you. Well, in one sense, during Advent season, we often do put ourselves in the shoes of the Old Testament believer, right? We do this, we'll do this when we watch the pageant. We do this anytime we read the Christmas story and we imagine what it was like waiting for the Messiah to come. How hard that must have been. We know what happened. We have the, the benefit of 2020 hindsight, but they didn't. They had the benefit of prophets pointing forward, saying He is coming, He will come. Believe the promise of God. And so we put ourselves in their shoe. And by going through this season every year, by counting down, by lighting the candles, and counting down to Christmas, we are, in a way, reenacting the journey to the original Christmas. But in another sense, this Advent season is a time for us to remember we are also in another longer Advent. We are waiting for the second coming of Christ to judge the living and the dead. 
It's why we seize upon the promise of verse 13. And if you ever get the sense of like, I hate waiting, just look at Psalm 96, look at verse 13 and go, they probably didn't like it either. They're excited about something. And what is it that David writes here? He says, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and his peoples in faithfulness. It hasn't happened yet. It hasn't happened yet in our lifetime either, but it will because he comes. The promise of tomorrow is why we can have joy today. Even as we live in a world that we, I think we all have to admit, it's shattered by sin. It's not a perfect world. It's broken by sorrow. We know that we have a king who created the world, a king who saved the world, and that same king is a king who promised that one day he will come back and he will set right what is all wrong. He will judge and he will restore and he will heal. You ever wonder why so many stories and all of our, our, all of our literature seems to revolve around this theme of an absent king who one day is said to come back and restore all things. We read this over and over again. In the books of Narnia, right? In the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, it's Aslan who's absent from the, from the throne. He hasn't been there for a long time. And so they've talked about, all the animals talk about, he's going to come back and end this winter that hasn't ended yet. He's going to bring about Christmas and he will end the White Witch's reign. But then you could go over Lord of the Rings. What's the third book of that series? The Return of the King. And that king is Aragorn. He's come to sit upon the throne of Gondor. That throne has been absent for generations upon generations. has been looked after by a steward, but that steward is not a king. They've been waiting for a king to come and reclaim the throne and usher in the fourth age of man. Or you could go to another legend that we know very well, Robin Hood, right? Things are wrong in England. The sheriff of Nottingham and little John, they're, they're doing things that, that have just ruined everything. And so the people, they're holding on by a thread. They're waiting for King Richard to come back from the Crusades and take the throne. And all of this echoes what we're really anticipating, what we really want to happen, because we really want our king to come back. We want him to come back. We would love him to come back today, if at all possible. Our king isn't absent from this world, but he has yet to come back to judge all things. David says that this coming gives us a reason right now to be glad and rejoice, because we know right now that the terrible state of things will not extend indefinitely, that sin will not run rampant for all eternity, that there is an expiration date on these things. That gives you hope. I can endure, I, I remember watching a sitcom a long time ago, it's a, it, this character just had to do this really annoying thing, and it was really hard, and it was physically taxing, and somebody else said, how can you do that? And she said, I just say, I can do it for 10 seconds, and I'm going to do it for 10 seconds, and then I can do it 10 seconds more, because I know sooner or later, it will have to end. And for us as Christians, we know sooner or later, this will end. And that is not a bad thing. That is not a reason to mourn. Rather, it is a reason to rejoice because at, its, at the world's ending is the world's beginning. At our end comes the king to judge all things. And that judging doesn't just mean that he's coming down to lay down the smackdown on everybody who's wrong and to bring about a terrible season of judgment, but also a season of restoration where when you judge, you go, well, 
I want to give honor and glory to things that are worthy. I want to keep those things. I want to bring about a world that is wonderful and whole and beautiful. And I want to get rid of all the stuff that doesn't work. I want to get rid and put aside these people who have rejected me. But I want to keep to myself the people who love me. Christ is coming. When He comes, He will establish right things and truthful things and a new and perfect creation. He will restore the proper order and He will heal our hearts. We read about this at the end of Revelation, right? When it says there will be no more tears because there will be no more death that will pass away. That is the old order of things. The new order is joy everlasting, glory everlasting, peace everlasting. We know this will happen because God the Father promised so. And to help keep that promise, He sent His Son. And He sent His Word. And He sent His Holy Spirit. And those are a seal upon our salvation, but it's also a seal upon this promise of a second coming. That one day, Jesus will not come subtly in a manger as a tiny little baby. He will come riding upon a cloud and there will not be a single person in this world who will miss His second arrival. So there is no better way to spend our time in Advent right now than to remember His creation, His great work of creating the world, His great work of saving the world, but also His great future work of coming back to the world and judging all to restore the proper order of things. Our King is great. Psalm 96 gives us a reason to wait and with anticipation of the best gift that we have yet to have. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, let us just rejoice in our hearts. Let us find a reason, even as we do struggle, Lord, we have things going on, things that are weighing us down right now, sickness and other people in our lives hurting, and financial worries, worries about the news, all this stuff that crashes down on us. Maybe we're struggling with mental health issues or our relationships in our lives. Lord, all these things that can just hold us back from the joy that you want to give us today. The joy of knowing that, Lord, you are with us right now, that you will give us strength to endure, strength to accomplish our mission in this world. But, Lord, you also remind us that there is a better world coming, that there is an eternity with you. This is just a prologue, Lord. This is just a, a way station for our final destination. So, Lord, give us that joy today. Help to encourage our lives. Help to lift up those right now who, Lord, are feeling just as low as they have ever felt this year. Lift them up on your shoulders. Remind them that they're your little lost sheep, and you love them so dearly that you came down to redeem them. In your name, amen. Thank you for listening. To reach out to Pastor Justin or to request prayer, send an email to pastor at noxepc.com or write to him at Knox Church. 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship on Sundays at 10.30am, either in person, or on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash noxypc. Visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash at noxypc.